Spiritual growthitis is a very serious condition that can affect Christians of all ages. Spiritual growthitis constricts the heart and makes it difficult to experience spiritual growth. Symptoms of spiritual growthitis include a noticeable lack of spiritual growth, stuck in an ever-deepening rut, hostility towards situations that might encourage spiritual growth. Treatments include a thousand cc's of trials and hardship administered directly to the problem area that will attempt to force the heart to trust God and grow spiritually, followed by a strict regimen of daily bread and prayer. Extreme cases may require a heart transplant to replace the heart that refuses to grow with a willing heart. If you know someone that is suffering from spiritual growthitis, make sure they get treatment, because when faith stops growing, it's dead. Well, uh, anybody here identify with that? Uh, you uh, lack of a lack of a spirit. Do you have lack of spiritual growth in your life? Spiritual uh, uh, growthitis. You know, we're all called to grow as believers in Christ Jesus. And I wanted to I wanted to be addressing that theme for several weeks. And then, um, uh, as we finished up a couple of weeks ago, the six week sermon series on heaven, there were some who were questioning me and said, "What is all this about?" A new heaven and a new earth. What happens, to, what happens to the old one? And I said, well, it gets destroyed by fire according to what Peter says. And so we went over that and looked, about, looked at that. And so I want to remind you about that because this sets the stage for what uh, Peter writes to us about in our scripture today uh, about growing spiritually and maturing in our faith as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look with me at, at 2 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 10. He begins talking about the day of the Lord, and he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, that's how he sets the stage then to bring this letter of concern that he has about spiritual growth, and about some of them falling victim to false teaching, so that they can understand what true teaching is, what the right spiritual matters are, and so that they can mature in their faith. And this is how from verse 14 to the end that Peter then addresses us about this image about what kind of people should we be in anticipating the day of the Lord. And he says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means, patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you, with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Now those are some pretty harsh words. And I think he's describing two groups of people. Those are just simply ignorant. They haven't grown in their faith. They have no concept of what the Bible teaches. They don't know that that's in the Bible. You know, they'll go by what uh, somebody has told them in the past or what they have an image of something that they've heard about, about a biblical truth. And, and they're, they're, 
absolutely dismayed sometimes to find out that what they have based their faith upon doesn't exist in the Bible. That's a harsh word when he talks about that, about those who are ignorant and unstable. And then he's talking about those who distort. And those are the false teachers that he was concerned about who would come in and maliciously teach false teachings. And because people weren't mature in their faith, they hadn't grown spiritually. They were easily deceived. Okay? So now he comes to verse 17. And this is where he really challenges us about our spiritual growth. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard. How did they know that? He had already told them that. They talked about it in 1 Peter. Now he's reminding of that and wrapping it up a little bit in 2 Peter here by reminding them again. He says, you already know this. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Now that's an interesting phrase in it when he says your secure position. Remember he's writing to believers in the church here. And, and, and this is what Peter says to them. You're in a secure position. And the last thing he says is in verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, when we, when we look at what the Bible says about growth, uh, we understand that it teaches us very strongly then that we should grow in grace. And we should grow in the knowledge of God. And that we should grow to spiritual maturity because if we don't, we disappoint God and we make ourselves very vulnerable to that which would threaten the gospel. And we aren't very productive. And all of that Peter talks about in this letter. Now, I want us to look at what he says here in these three verses just with three simple points in mind. And first of all, let's think about the priority of spiritual growth. I mean, Peter doesn't mince words. He really doesn't give us to us as an option. He simply says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the priority of spiritual growth. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are to grow spiritually as believers in Jesus Christ. Now we look at our life, our physical life, and have a tendency to say that growing old is inevitable, but growing up is, is still an option. And that doesn't always hold true. We've been painfully reminded about that. Uh, some of you and our, our students know that with the death of a, of a sophomore classmate this, this past couple of weeks. That we know that um, everybody doesn't live to a ripe old age of 80 or 85. Some people die at a younger age. And so it's an interesting thing that it's not absolutely true that the growing old is inevitable. But the reality is that wherever we are in life, we need a relationship with Christ so that we can grow to a level of maturity. I got to thinking about that issue and I wondered, how old is the oldest person uh, in, in this world today? And some little research on Google tells me that the oldest person is a man who lives in Japan. His name is uh, Mr. Kimura. And he is the, uh, he's not only the oldest living human being at 116 years of age, but he also is the last living man who was born in the 19th century. Now that really says he's old. I mean that's, that's astounding, isn't it? So then I got to thinking, well what's the age of the oldest person living in America? I might start sounding like Willard Scott and all I need is a jar of Smucker's Jelly, right? And recognizing all the, uh, those who are over 100. 
But that honor belongs to Jerry Lynn Talley. Uh, and just on May 23rd of, of this past month, she celebrated her 114th birthday, and she lives in Inkster, Michigan. Now, uh, they asked Mr. Camaro what was the secret to his longevity, and he said he ate small meals, and he spent most of his time now in bed. Not a whole way, not a, not a very exciting lifestyle, but I said, hey, sometimes he does better than I do on good days, right? But spiritual growth is essential to, uh, to, our, to our life and development, the way God wants us to. You know, we're not told how long we will live, but we are told how we should live. And, and in being told how we should live means that we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Many places in the Bible challenge us with that. Let me remind you of a few. In 1 Corinthians 13 11, Paul's great letter about love, that, that, that love chapter, chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 11, he says this When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. That's interesting. In the midst of the great love chapter, he talks about putting childish ways behind him. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Paul says, Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. That's a challenge to mature your mind and your thought process. Hebrews 6, 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ, not forget them, but leave them, he said, and go on to maturity. He says, you've got to start with the elementary teachings of Christ, that we've all sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. We can't save ourselves. We have to accept the sacrifice of Christ and what He did for us. That's, you know, that's those elementary teachings. That's where our spiritual life begins when we embrace that truth. But then he says, we've got to go on to maturity. We've got to grow to maturity. He's talking spiritual maturity. Then in 1 Peter 2, he says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I say all of those out of, out of hundreds and maybe thousands of other places in the Scriptures, we're, we're reminded of the mandate and the priority of spiritual growth. But I want to give you a warning. Let me give you a warning about three things that spiritual growth is not. Okay. Number one, it is not just knowledge and information. In other words, we are supposed to get a, a wealth of biblical knowledge through Bible study and reading and, and uh, opening our, our lives to what God wants to teach us and to pour into our life through the experiences of life as well as through teaching opportunities. You can know a lot of things, but how helpful is that knowledge? I found these this week I thought you might enjoy, just some of these little trivial things. Said, did you know that a West Virginia man once escaped from jail by using a rope made out of dental floss? That's got to be some tough dental floss. Did you know that only two people in Saudi Arabia ascribe to surfing magazine? Surfer magazine. That an Englishman, John Evans, kept 66 bricks weighing a total of 296 pounds balanced on his head for 120 seconds. And that's a world record. Or that Iceland consumes more Coca-Cola per person than any other country in the world. I don't know why they questioned Coca-Cola about that, but and why in Iceland they drink more Coca-Cola. I don't know about Pepsi. Now, 
This is what's been in my mind all week long. That you can sing, did you know that you can sing Amazing Grace to the tune of the theme song from Gilligan's Island? You remember the theme song from Gilligan's Island? Can you run that through your mind now with the words to Amazing Grace? You got it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. How about that? Thank you. Thank you. You applauding because you didn't know I could do it, did you? How about that? How about this one? Did you know that Heinz ketchup poured from the mouth of an upended bottle travels at the average speed of 25 miles per year? (laughs) Now, don't you feel enlightened already? What are you going to do with that information? You know, I I I love to watch Jeopardy. It's always been my favorite television show. And I'm just amazed at the wealth of information those people have who are good contestants. You know, they they must try to study everything that they can. And sometimes it pays off for them. But the kind of knowledge I'm talking about is, is biblical knowledge. It's not just to have biblical knowledge so you can grow to be a, a fat little spiritual baby. Information is not just for information from the Bible and learning more about the Scripture and learning more about the ways of God. But it's information for transformation to develop us more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A second thing spiritual growth is, is not is that it's not about religion nor rules. Sometimes there's a tendency for, for people who have a lot of biblical knowledge to become very, very legalistic, just like the Pharisees. And that's never the intent of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Once again, the writer of Hebrews in 13.9 says, Your heart should be strengthened by God's grace, not by obeying the rules. Now, what's he wanting to emphasize? He wants to emphasize the grace of God. See, we can't keep the law and grow as believers. Now, that's, you know, I mean, we need to keep the Ten Commandments and understand that. You know, we shouldn't violate the Ten Commandments, any of them. But really, our heart transformation takes place through God's grace more than anything else. Now, here's something else about spiritual growth. It is not an immediate change. And I think one of the difficulties for us is we live in an instant society today. I mean, we want it, we want it now. You order it by phone with your credit card, order it on computer with your credit card. It can be delivered overnight and be at your house or place of business the next day. You got instant access to the World Wide Web and all kinds of information you want to know out there. Like how old is the oldest person living on the face of the earth today? You know, those kinds of things. You know, we text, we Twitter, you got email, all of that. And when it comes to spiritual growth, I think, we, we, we think we can read one book or, or read one chapter or read through the Bible or some kind of magic formula and we're going to reach spiritual maturity. It doesn't happen that way. It's a long process of allowing God to work into our life and change our heart and allowing God to use all of the experiences, good and bad, painful and wonderful, that He could help to take all of those and mold us and shape us into the image that He wants us to be. But priority number one is spiritual growth. Now, the second thing we would say is the principle of spiritual growth. What's the principle of spiritual growth? Well, the spiritual growth principle and the maturity that we need in spirituality is the process of developing in our faith so that the practice of our faith 
matches our position in Christ and we bring glory to God. Now we ask, what is our position in Christ? Remember verse 17? I said that's an interesting verse that he points out about our secure position. What is our secure position? Well, as a believer, uh, we've been saved, we've been forgiven of our sins, and we no longer are condemned by any guilt. That's a, that's a wonderful place to be. You know, that's one of the kind of catchphrases we use in our society today. You know, somebody says, I'm just not in a good place. Let me tell you this, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're in a secure place. Your sins are forgiven, you're saved, and you are forgiven of any shame and guilt. You don't have to carry that around with you. Now, that's the first step in, in, in coming towards spiritual growth and maturity is, is, is that you've got to confess Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. That's the fundamental step. That's the beginning point. That's the elementary teachings of the faith that, that the writer of Hebrews talked about. But let me remind you that it's not just coming to accept Christ as Savior, it's also allowing Him to be Lord of your life. I know we, we've all made the mistake of saying, making, making Christ Lord of our life. We don't make Him anything. He is Lord. But we allow Him to be Lord of our life. And the interesting thing is, that should be at our moment of salvation. Because Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, and, and says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You see, that's more than just acknowledging information that Jesus is Lord. That's a personal statement of faith that Jesus is Lord. When you confess Christ as Lord, then you become greatly concerned about the glory of God. And when you're concerned about the glory of God, then you're concerned about your spiritual maturity as it would glorify God in and through your life. Let me give you, give you the, the challenge. If you've never embraced Christ as your Savior, then you need to do that today because you can't start to grow spiritually until you are in Christ, until you've accepted Him as Savior and Lord. So, salvation is the necessary beginning for glorifying God and the beginning point for your spiritual growth. And in His grace, God gives us that opportunity. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. Now here's what happens when we really are committed to Christ. Allowing Him to be Lord. And we're motivated by this grace of God working in our life. The more that I grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Then the more I am amazed at His grace. And it is amazing grace isn't it? You see the more that I grow in the knowledge of Jesus the more I am amazed at His grace. See, His grace is God's undeserved favor, His love instead of, of judgment. Now, why should we grow in God's grace? Well, to answer that, I want to tell you a few things that grace never does, okay? Some people have the misunderstanding about grace growing and developing in our life and what it really means, okay? First of all, Growing in grace never increases our self-confidence. 
But grace always teaches us to trust ourselves less and to trust Jesus more. All right. Grace never causes us to increase our self-esteem. But grace always teaches us to esteem others more highly than ourselves and to esteem Christ highest of all. So here's something else that grace never does. It never promotes light views of sin. See, there are two extremes that, that when we experience spiritual maturity, we can fall into. We can either fall into that area of being legalistic, being pharisaical about this whole thing, about salvation and growth and spiritual maturity. Or you can be very liberal on it on the other side and you can say, well, the Scripture says that I'm saved by grace and the, and the more that I sin, the more grace that comes into my life. So grace gives me license to do anything I want to do because there's going to be forgiveness offered to me. You don't understand grace. You're abusing grace if that's your attitude about it. You know, Paul even threw out that question. What should we do? Should we sin more so that grace will abound more? Absolutely not. When you are committed to Christ and you're committed to spiritual growth and you're growing in grace, you have an attitude about sin that says you don't want to do it anymore. That which you used to do in sin and thought nothing about it, it burns your heart, it burns your soul. You don't want anything else to do with it. Nothing at all. It does not promote a light view of sin. And then the last thing that it does not do is it does not move us to neglect the duties of the life of faith. See, grace never moves us to neglect the Word or prayer or the gathering together for worship or nor giving what God calls us to give, nor encouraging us, nor, nor others, nor forgiving others, nor for witnessing about the faith. See, grace invariably moves us towards the goal which God has set before us. And that is that we should conform to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. See, that's the object of spiritual maturity. We grow in grace and we glorify God with our lives when we do so. Uh, many, many years ago, one of the early church fathers, we call him St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who lived in A.D. 1091 to 1153, described our options and really the process of growing in grace this way. He said, first of all, there's love of self for self's sake. Then there's love of God for self's sake. You know, like what's in it for me? Then there's a love of God for God's sake. And then there's the love of self for God's sake. And it's there that we understand the process of grace. And that as we live in that grace, we glorify God. And that's what should be our greatest concern. Now, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, earlier in this letter, verses 5-7, through 7, Paul lists some traits by which we can look at our life and see if we're growing in grace. He says, for this very reason, what very reason? Growing in grace, defending the faith, keeping your secure position in Christ secure. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, what Paul is really saying is, add to your faith these things by which you can measure how you're doing and how you're growing. You know, we, we, we measure how well we are in other areas of life. 
You know, we measure our, our physical condition by checking in with our doctor and going to him for routine checkups and physicals and trying the best we can to stay in good shape. You want to keep your portfolio and your investments up to date, so you check with your wealth management advisor. You know, you get a routine checkup, you want to stay there. Um, you want to check with your guidance counselor or academic advisor at school. If you're in college to see, am I on track to graduate on time? Am I taking all the courses that I need to take? I'm struggling with this. Do I need to change uh, my major? Uh, those kinds of questions, those kinds of issues. Do I need to go to graduate school? If you're in graduate school, do I need to go beyond this and get the terminal degree? So we, we, we need those advisors for that. If you're still uh, in, the, in the secondary level of school, you know, you still need to be checking with the guidance counselor and academic advisor to make sure you're taking all the classes you need to in the core curriculum and the other things so you're going to graduate on time and be prepared for whatever you're choosing to do, whether vocation, right out of high school, or whether you're going on to college. You see, we need to do that checkup and make sure uh, that we're doing okay in those areas. Well, we need to keep a check on our spiritual life and our spiritual development as well. Many, many years ago, Ben Franklin, who was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, developed a, a process of where he listed 13 virtues, and he wrote them down in a notebook. And then he actually created a graph where every day he would chart his progress in every one of those 13 virtues. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's before Excel, spreadsheet, and all that kind of stuff. You know, and you can do that. Uh, you can create your own, or you can take the scriptures right here out of what we read in, in, in 2 Peter 1 about the things to add to your faith, and you can check them off. You can put them on, on, on an express sheet and, and check them out. Mark, mark and chart how you're growing. You see? And then Peter makes a bold statement. In, in, 1 Peter, in 2 Peter 1 9, he says, if anyone does not have them, that's those things he listed, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now that's an interesting statement to make, isn't it? If we don't reach spiritual maturity, what Peter was saying is, you really don't value your salvation and what Jesus did for you on the cross. So as you seek to grow spiritually, you need to ask yourself, am I glorying in God's grace? Am I growing in my knowledge of Jesus? Do I look and act more like Jesus every day? See, that's, that's something that we need to be concerned about, about that process of growth. You know, and, and for us, well, sometimes we have to expose ourselves and be vulnerable to take that step. Um, every time I, I ride by a Red Lobster here or, or anywhere else, I keep wondering, and you can inform me on this, is, is there any other color lobster besides red? I, I mean, I asked that in seriousness, and I didn't think about looking it up to see. But red lobster, I mean, what if it was blue lobster? You know? You know? But anyway, using the lobster as an image, um, did you know that there's a time for them to grow that they have to actually get out of their shell? If not, it would become their coffin. And you can see on this one that it doesn't look like exactly a normal um, uh, lobster. And right behind the larger head portion there, look, you can see some of the place there where it's kind of bare. Now, you can imagine what that lobster is like without that shell. That's the protective coating and covering. It's susceptible to prey, being eaten by another uh, sea creature. You know, they could be tossed about by the current, and they could get hurt because they don't have that shell on. And, and so they're vulnerable when they step out. But then when they make that step, and then that new shell comes on them, this is what we're most likely to see in a lobster. There's a red lobster. Looks healthy, doesn't it? Looks like he's good to eat. 
But see, there, there's a, a correlation there in the fact that when we try to do this exercise of growing in grace, we're going to, be, we're going to make ourselves vulnerable. You can get hurt by other people. You can be accused of being judgmental. You can be accused of being pharisaical. You can be accused of being legalistic. You can be accused of trying to win favor with God. But you know in your heart what you want to do. And so it's worth taking that risk and that challenge to make yourself vulnerable so that you can begin to grow in the grace of God. Now here's the third thing we need to say. What is the product of spiritual growth? In other words, what happens? What, what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to see take place in our life? Peter used these words to describe mature believers when Jesus returns, and that's in 3.14. Opening verse of what we read for our scripture. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. And, and that's our secure position in Jesus Christ. That we're saved, that we're forgiven, and we don't have any guilt and shame we drag around with us. Now, why does God want us to mature? It's just not something to do with your time, so that you spend time in Bible study and memorizing Scripture and, and, and being active in the life of the church and witnessing for the kingdom of God. But in Ephesians 4.14, when Peter talks about Paul's writings, Paul wrote this about spiritual maturity. He says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. In other words, he says, when we grow to spiritual maturity, we become stable, rock solid. We aren't blown like a weed in the wind and blown about here and there by every false doctrine and teaching, but we're able to stand firm. Uh, Peter, Paul calls immature believers infants. And we don't want to remain an infant once we're born again, but we want to grow and develop and put some muscle, a spiritual muscle into our life. We want to be spiritually mature so we can be productive for the kingdom of God, so that we can represent God and bring glory to His name, so that we can be effective as we witness. You see, and as we spiritually mature, here's some things that take place in our life. We become strong in our faith. We're capable of making discerning decisions. That's very important in this culture because there's going to be a lot of different options for you to choose. And then we become effective and productive for the glory of God. That's why we need to mature in our spiritual life. And the challenge from Peter today is that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace. It's God's grace at work in us every day as we make ourselves open to Him and vulnerable to Him to let that grace work so that we can mature and develop the way He wants us to. And then we become productive. We become productive citizens in the kingdom of God, bringing glory to God. Not to ourselves, but to God. So the challenge for us is to grow spiritually in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To take the time and take the effort and open your life to the Holy Spirit so that you can begin that process of spiritual maturity. Because that's the way you bring glory and honor to God. And that's what He wants from your life. Join me in prayer about that, will you? Our fathers, we bow before you today. We ask you to...
uh, encourage us to accept this challenge that you give to us from your word uh, that we can uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that by doing so we will embrace your grace uh, which is the only way that we come to know you and experience Christ. And we can grow in the knowledge of Christ so that we know what we're to look like in our spiritual maturity. And so we ask you to allow us that faith and that courage and that commitment and conviction uh, no longer to remain immature or spiritual babes, but to strive towards that spiritual maturity so we can bring glory to your name. And Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus. And we pray if there are those here today who do not know you uh, by faith in Christ as, as a, your child, that anyone outside your kingdom will come today, accept Christ, will receive that forgiveness, know that their sins are forgiven, get rid of that guilt and shame, and live for your glory. And Father, we pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen.